welcome to Future Out Loud from the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at Arizona State University. I'm Heather Ross. Together with Andrew Maynard, we bring you conversations with experts on and off campus where we think out loud about our collective future. In today's episode, Andrew and I sat down with our friend and colleague, Emma Froh, to talk about stem cell therapies and the recent activity with the United States Food and Drug Administration that sent a couple of letters to stem cell therapy clinics asking them to stop what they were doing and the promise in the third letter of future regulatory statements from the FDA with regard to stem cell therapies. You may recall that we talked with Emma several months ago about some of the work that she's been doing with her students around stem cell clinics and this was a nice opportunity to get a little bit of an update about what Emma's lab has been finding and to get her reflections on the recent actions from the FDA. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Before we begin, as always, thank you for listening to the Future Out Loud podcast. If you're not already subscribed to Future Out Loud, you can do that so that it will just dump right into your listening feed. You can subscribe in iTunes. You can subscribe in SoundCloud. We're also in places like Google Play and Stitcher. So you can find us any one of those places. And we hope that you will continue to enjoy listening and tell your friends and be part of our Future Out Loud community. You can let us know what you think on Twitter at Future Out Loud or on Facebook at Future Out Loud or you can visit our website, futureoutloud.org. As always, thanks for listening. And now on with Emma Fro. Hi, Emma. Hi, Heather. Hi, Hi, Andrew. Hi, Heather. This is the most professional that we may ever sound because <laughs> we have this fancy new mixing board and some new mics. And that, we actually took the time to set it up. And we actually took the time to set it up. So Emma, we're very pleased and honored that you can be here for our first real technologically adept, maybe? Uh, you know, recording. I shouldn't speak before we've actually heard it. Possibly adept. Oh, good point. Good point. <laughs> yeah. Let's not counter chickens before they're hatched. Is yes. that what the saying? Um, in any case, um, speaking of chickens and eggs and things that give rise to such things, stem cells, right? <laughs> There's some news in the stem cell world. Yes? There is. Uh, maybe two weeks ago now, the FDA issued a series of press releases, actually, mm, about really? stem cells, which caused quite a buzz in the, in the kind of public sphere. Um, so three press releases. Um, Two of which were press releases describing action that they that the FDA had taken right. against two stem cell clinics, mm-hmm. and the third one was a broader position statement um, about what they're planning to do with regards to the regulation of uh, kind of experimental stem cell therapies over the coming years. Right, and just to recap, so this is an area that you've been studying, especially stem cell clinics around this area. Absolutely, yes. Yes. Um, so we've been spending. With a, with a group of very talented undergraduates, we've been spending probably the last year or so trying to get to grips with this pretty complicated landscape mm-hmm. of uh, experimental stem cell treatments for treating a variety of different 
medical conditions. Right, right. And is it fair to say that this has largely been almost a sort of Wild West free-for-all? The term Wild West is used quite frequently, Okay, actually. right. <laughs> so, I, yes, I'm glad it's I'm on very track fair there. to say. Right. <laughs> um, and, and I think that's in part because the the FDA framework and the kind of regulatory framework that they had in place for overseeing stem cells hasn't necessarily been crystal clear. So right. when you have a sort of slightly nebulous regulatory framework, that leaves scope for all kinds of new experimental practices to take form. Mm -hmm. um, and that may explain this sort of wild right. west right. nature right. that you alluded to. But, but now presumably it's a little less wild. Possibly? Well, so the press release that the FDA issued doesn't exactly clarify the regulations. Right. Okay. It promises clarification oh, of the right. of the regulations oh. this fall. Right. This fall. This which fall. Which so, technically starts as we're recording this and looking at the date in one week. Right? Really? Really? Well, you know, the autumnal equinox. I I guess right? theoretically, yes. yes. Yeah, yeah. You mean the date that it falls below 100 degrees fairly regularly here. Right, so yes. yeah, who knows when that's going to be. <laughs> right, yeah. Right, right. Okay, but we have a press release basically saying in the future there's going to be another press release saying that we've done something. That they are going to clarify. So actually right. what this press release does is two things. One is it says um, we realize that there is a need for clarification about the mm -hmm. regulations and mm -hmm. we are on, we are on task and we are set to issue some crystal clear guidance, I believe, might be the phrase used mm -hmm. um, this fall. Right. That's something we can maybe talk about, how crystal clear this guidance might, might right. be. Yes. Um, and the second thing that they announce in the press release is the formation of a working group to possibly begin to crack down on clinics that are offering um, stem cell treatments right. that uh, the FDA deems not to be either safe or effective. Okay, so okay. this was a bit of a shot across the bowels, yes. Interesting. And so, they actually use very strong language. Right. So, yeah. correct me if I'm wrong, but it remains the case that the only actually FDA-approved use of stem cells is in bone marrow transplant. Is that true? I or? believe that's right. Okay. So does that mean that everything else that's not bone marrow transplant is falls into the not safe or effective, or is it questionably effective, or what does that even mean? It's a pretty complicated question, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. Um, you know, there are a lot of clinical trials underway, right? Okay. Um, I think the really big question at the heart of this, and which is why it's hard to, to provide very clear regulations, mm -hmm. is whether or not stem cell procedures and stem cell products should be considered drugs. Right. Right, right. Or whether they're not, whether they are sort of surgical processes or some fall under some other kind or of definition which would right. make them fall outside the ability of the FDA to put them through the clinical trial regulatory. Mm -hmm. Right, right. So the FDA says doesn't matter what you're providing, it still needs to be done according to good manufacturing practices and of so course. on. That applies mm -hmm. to all stem cells. Sure. But but but, but there are different but parts of FDA that handle things. Depending on how you make the stem cells yes. and what you're doing with them and whatnot, mm -hmm. there's this, the kind of really big question is, are they drugs? Right, yeah. um, right. And that's not, that's not an answer that the FDA can, can unequivocally yeah. say and, yes or no And to. we should say a bit more about that because I can imagine to some people they're thinking, why would a cell be a drug? Well, is there, <laughs> it, but 
In terms of regulatory pathways, does the FDA distinguish between drugs and biologics? I think so. So I'm not an FDA expert uh, here. Okay. But, but we should but, clarify that um, a biologic is something that has got a biological origin that's used for therapeutic purposes. Right. Where, as opposed to a drug which is manufactured. Right. Yes. 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 And I think there is this question. So I think biologics is a term that's used because you can't just say that any biological product is a drug, right? Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, but some biological products might be considered drugs if you're using them for drug-like purposes. Right. And okay. so I think the term biologic is a way of sort of mm -hmm. putting all of these things in one basket and then the FDA decides maybe on a case-by-case -case basis whether or not this particular biologic for this purpose is a drug or whether it's... Yes. You know, I see. Doesn't or, or a device. Yeah. yeah. Yes. As the other. I'm just looking very quickly at the FDA website for the vaccines, blood, and biologics section. Right. So we can get the, the full definition. Yeah. But, but certainly one of the challenges has always been with FDA that they have various different categories of things that people put into their bodies. Um, all the way from the drugs which uh, have the, the hardest regulatory pathway through to dietary supplements that have one of the softest regulatory pathways. In fact, they're not really regulated at all. Right. Yes. Absolutely, right. Right. Um, and devices as well, right? Right, so sort of, right, yes. You know, what, yeah, and, and I think this is where the challenge of regulation comes in too, right? Where um, you've always got new technologies, new products, new innovations coming yes. in. right. And so the FDA is has to come up with a broad framework that ideally would encompass new developments in technology. But then every time a new technology comes along, they have to figure out which of those That's right. categories it falls into and mm -hmm. whether those categories are kind of suited to how they should be thinking about yeah. regulating them. And, and stem cells are just a weird case. Yes, and, and as we've seen with, with other cases, I, it takes something to really come to somebody's attention before FDA really begin to, to respond to it, which obviously they're now doing with stem cells, a little bit behind the curve because you mm -hmm. can already go out there and get stem cell therapy or whatever. Right. Uh, but at least they're responding to that. Absolutely, so, and, and they have, they have a small track record of responding. So mm -hmm. over the last six years, I think they've sent out five warning letters to okay. clinics. Oh, okay. But, and, but and so what's a warning letter mean? And what do you have to do to get one? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Not that you want one, but right. just in case. Right. Well, this is really interesting. So actually, one of the um, undergraduate students I was working with last year looked at the letters that mm -hmm. the FDA had issued. These are mm -hmm. all publicly available documents. Yep. So mm -hmm. she actually looked at the letters and analyzed them to see what it was the FDA was calling these clinics out on. Right. Uh -huh. um, and more often than not, it was about good manufacturing practice. Right. Oh, okay. um, I think possibly because the regulations around whether or not they should be applying for clinical trials or formal regulatory approval aren't necessarily that clear. Mm -hmm. Right. So they go for the, the avenue that they can go down. Absolutely. Um, but the other thing is that each of those warning letters was issued on the basis of an inspection that the FDA had done. Right. Mm -hmm. So they had visited the facilities and then they were able to point to a whole host of small violations of good right. manufacturing practice. Right. Um, right. So one thing that tells us too is that the FDA, I don't know whether they can, but they certainly don't tend to just issue a letter sight unseen to sure. a clinic. There's got to be so evidence. The time mm -hmm. and the resource that it takes to go and visit a clinic and to inspect their processes right. and so on is not trivial, I'm guessing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, right. And so, you know, 
you don't just issue a warning letter on the basis sure. of what you think a clinic is doing. You actually sure. have to go take the time sure. to, yes. to look at their practices. So it's been a fairly small number, and that may be because mm-hmm. of the resource it takes to... And maybe you so want some that. proof of harm. You know, you want some reports or something coming in that would indicate to you that this clinic is particularly I, worth visiting. I right? could imagine. I, and just thinking at the number of clinics, so remind me how many clinics there are just in this area alone. So in the six southwest U.S. states, we've found over 150 clinics. Right, wow. right. So countrywide, there are going to be a lot. There's, there's no way... There's over 600, I right, think, that yes. are known about. Okay. Yes. Yep. And then if we expand beyond U.S. borders, are stem cells and stem cell clinics regulated in the same way outside of bone marrow transplant in other countries? Oh, it's... Each country has their own it's a set of, yeah. of right. regulations. So, right, okay. right. so um, you have stem cell vacations. Absolutely, stem cell tourism, <laughs> right, yes. medical tourism, right? So, yes. And there are certain countries known for having fairly relaxed regulations and right. certain ones that are known for having tighter regulations. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. The U.S. probably falls somewhere in the middle. Okay. Until we've got the clarification from the FDA. One hopes, right. yeah. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So, what, so the two letters that were recently issued then brings the grand total up to six letters or up to eight letters? Uh, so there were five up until August. Oh, okay. Um, there was a sixth one issued in August. Uh-huh. And the seventh it wasn't really a letter that the, that the FDA issued. They, in a press release, announced that they had um, gone into one of these businesses and raided it um, to retrieve, this is, it's not quite the stem cell story, they had gone in to retrieve vials of vaccinia virus vaccine that were being used in combination with stem cells to administer to stage four cancer patients. um, Which was deemed to be a very dangerous treatment. So Mm -hmm. vaccinia virus, uh, vaccinia virus vaccines are the vaccines used to inoculate people against smallpox. Okay. They're not commercially available vaccines. Wow, right. Um, you normally have to get your stock from the CDC. Yes. Yeah. Center for Disease Control. So where um, did they get Yeah, where did they get it? And you do not give this vaccine to an immunocompromised patient. Okay. Right. So, so the, the idea of... Comp- wow. Yeah. Do we know where they were getting it from? Um, so looking at news stories around this, it actually sounds like they were obtained from the CDC. Interesting. Um, but perhaps not necessarily for the purposes mm-hmm. that they were being used for. Okay. Um, right. The story there is murky. Course. Once you get a sample, of course you can replicate, right? Like uh, that's I don't how know you make how easy it is to manufacture a vaccine. Do we, I, yeah, not easy. Well, it depends not, on what type of vaccine it is. It depends on what type of vaccine, yes. but for some of them, you know, you inject it into an egg and... Right, like, yeah, you know, but, but I think you, you've got to know what you're doing with the well, egg. Well, sure. Yes. That sure. takes a very formal process, and I don't right. think the idea was that. So, okay. so what the there's been a little bit of back and forth, but um, but this particular company was partnering with a stem cell clinic. Notably, some of the, the head of the stem cell clinic was also part of the company as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but they were working on what they were calling a very kind of cutting edge cancer treatment, mm-hmm. um, and they had obtained five vials of the vaccine. I see. Each vial had 100 doses in it. And when the U.S. Marshals walked in a couple of weeks ago to seize these, Mm -hmm. four of the vials had not yet been opened, and one of the vials, you know, was missing some doses. I see. Um, So so it doesn't, I mean, this is not a case of trying to kind of grow 
vaccine, right. vaccine so much as performing a highly experimental treatment. And, and um, when you say highly experimental, was this just something that somebody had dreamt up in the middle of the night, or is there evidence for this? Do you know? Um, so, so yeah. Again, this is not totally straightforward. Right. I believe there are a couple of published studies right. that do talk about the possibility of using vaccines as part of a cancer therapy mm -hmm. strategy. Mm -hmm. Right, right. Um, so, so it's maybe not completely out of the blue. Right. I don't know whether I, I don't but, know whether it's vaccinia virus or. But or even that does raise a, a broader issue, which I think ties back to the the stem cell um, clinics, that if a group publishes research which is very tentative that mm -hmm. says this sort of therapy might one day work and we've got very preliminary data. There is a huge temptation, you see this in a number of cases, of people trying to hang their hope on that and trying to take that therapy mm -hmm. from the, the theoretical conceptual stage yeah. to in people. Yes. Um, in people. yes. And, and exactly. I mean, who knows whether this went through animal testing, right. whether it went through. Mm -hmm. And the picture here gets very tricky because the, the stem cell clinic involved issued a press release that stated a number of points um, that you know that kind of lead one to wonder exactly where this study was at so they said they were working with the department of defense mm -hmm. they said they had irb approval for their studies oh. um, you know they they said that this was mm -hmm. i mean they i don't think they said that they had applied to fda for certain types of clearances right. i mean this was you know, when you're looking to see if you're a patient and you're thinking about mm. whether or not a, an experimental treatment is one that is worth, <laughs> you, right. you know, mm -hmm. is worth going for. Right. right. Um, what are the kinds of things you would look for? Right. Um, right. As as markers of whether this is a course, this is a procedure yes. you should try. Well, and so the press release that was put out actually suggests that you it, know could lead one to it was think about board. Yes. that there was yeah. you know there was a real um, sort of. Uh, formal process that had been followed. So I, we don't, I don't think any of us know the details. Okay. Right, right. Okay. Right. Hmm. So, well, I think a couple of things. One, depending on what kind of, it was a cancer therapy, you said. Yes. So that person who's seeking a stem cell experimental cancer therapy, um, that's a vulnerable subject, right. Mm -hmm. right? De facto, that's a vulnerable subject. That's somebody who is probably has exhausted routine therapies mm -hmm. and available therapies. So, oh gosh, how do you deal with that through an IRB? Um, so that that just always raises concerns. It, it for is me. always tough. I'm tough on yeah. both sides because you desperately want to help these people. Right. On the other hand, it does mean that they're very susceptible mm -hmm. to um, procedures that probably are not going to help them and may well right. do an awful lot of damage. And when we ask the question, you know, what do you want to know if you're seeking this? Well, what a person who has reached the end of their therapeutic options wants mm. to know is probably different than what a person who is exploring all of their therapeutic options would want to know. Of course. Right? Yes. yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Or, you know, as we might sit back if we're not actively pursuing treatments, you might right. also have a different set of questions, right? You, you so, have a different set of values. Yeah. Yes. Exactly. Um, yes. Exactly. Yes. So how, let's now, I guess, think about at the risk of postulating as to what the FDA is going to unleash with, in, with their yes. policy, right? You know, what what would an effective policy potentially say? 
in this mm-hmm. area? Yeah, I mean, I think that's a that's the million dollar question, right? Mm-hmm. There's a couple of hints that seem to be coming through okay. in the press release about what the FDA might do. Mm-hmm. Um, so they seem very clear that they want to try and strike a balance where they are encouraging innovation in the stem cell space right. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, while at the same time trying to prevent, um, and they use very strong language, kind of unscrupulous actors mm-hmm. who are trying to take advantage of vulnerable patients and right. so on. Um, there's a new, I think this has come through the 21st Century Cures Act, there's mm-hmm. a new designation that the FDA is trying to implement about regenerative advanced medicine. Okay. Okay. Um, so you can apply for a designation that essentially fast tracks mm-hmm. your potential therapy through the FDA system. Okay. Right. Um, so I think, you know, what may happen is that there may be some tightening up on the or some more stringent definitions that the FDA applies as to what kinds of uh, stem cell products require oversight. Okay. Mm-hmm. So they may say, you know, they may call for more products to mm-hmm. need oversight, but what they might do is then move those products into a faster okay. right. pipeline. Right. Okay. Okay. Um, and I think what that means is that there's more conversation going on between the FDA and the producers of products. I think okay. what's happened right. right now is that there's a sort of large market that's emerging that is developing and offering treatments and products mm-hmm. um, without any conversation with the right, FDA, right? right? right. And right. so by sort of tightening up on one end and maybe restricting what might happen, you know, which kinds of treatments you can offer, mm-hmm. yes. but then having a pathway for speeding up yeah. Um, yeah. sort yeah. of the approval process, that I, I we, get we, the sense that the balance they're we, trying which to sounds, strike. I, if, they, if they follow that pathway, it, it sounds quite reasonable to me. Um, but also I think importantly, it, it establishes that FDA is not just one of these agencies that says no. Um, It's an agency that actually tries to facilitate people helping others improve their lives through whatever means possible. But they want to make sure that um, people aren't being unnecessarily put at risk or taken advantage of. And it's really interesting, right? Because I'm not sure anybody was really expecting an Mm -hmm. announcement of this kind from the FDA. When we look at other agencies currently, in the U.S. government, we are seeing large pushes yep. towards deregulation. That's right. Uh-huh. Yes. Um, and so, so actually, for the FDA, and I think there's a few cases recently where the FDA is actually coming out and and intimating that there will be stronger right regulations, which doesn't, you know, which it, it either sh- <laughs> it either says they're flying under the political radar at the moment, mm-hmm. or um, there is some sort of leeway that people aren't picking up on in the popular press. Right. Yes. So a couple of things uh, with the FDA. I must say that when the last time I was at the FDA, which was um, maybe two years ago now, giant banners up everywhere and everybody's email, you know, signature line says like, how are we doing? Let us know. And really seeking feedback from the public and people who engage with the FDA in that way, which was very impressive to me. And I think I see that the FDA is trying really earnestly to meet public need and serve the public and, and do that kind of outreach. So that's thing one. Thing two then, this notion of, um, regulating more products through a fast track what is the 
personnel and funding situation. Mm-hmm. I know I was on the Hill earlier this week asking for more billions of dollars of appropriations for research and innovation to NIH and CDC and FDA. Thank you. Um, you're welcome. <laughs> I hope it works. I, <laughs> we'll NIH see. got more funding this week, right? Uh, yes, NIH okay. last week. Success, NIH got some Heather. More funding. Well, yeah. well yes. you know, that was rapid success. Yeah. That was before I got there. But... Um, and I was not alone, I should, I should clarify. Um, but, you know, it's been, I know on the device side, FDA has really struggled to keep up with the volume of devices that are coming through the pipeline. How are they? Are they equipped? I mean, are there even enough regulators to deal with what I think innovation would suggest that we hope is an influx of new stem cell products? I mean, that's a great question, right? I don't know that there are many agencies that are overstaffed. Right, right. Right? Particularly now in 2017. And so when they're writing, when agencies are writing policy, um, you know, and I guess this is a theoretical question, should they be writing policy with an, an eye toward what we could do today or should they be writing policy that will set up a you know workflow situation that is untenable for them but maybe good for people yeah i mean it's i think it's really hard these days to craft policy that has budgetary or resource implications that you know are impossible Mm-hmm. Right. Well, so, we just saw a Senate bill drop this week. Flies uh, <laughs> <laughs> right in the face of that. Right. But I mean, so so the FDA. I mean, if you're looking at policy, they've got the the legal requirements which are set by Congress. Then yes. they've got to implement those. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly, my experience of the agency is that because of their adherence to evidence-based decisions, mm-hmm. they will look first and foremost on how do we do what's right to enact these these policies. Yes. Um, and of course, there's expedient thinking there, I think, in terms of how can we do this pragmatically, mm-hmm. but it's still down to how do we use science and evidence to ensure that the best possible decisions are made. Yes. Um, then I suspect they work out how on earth they're gonna address that with the personnel and the budgets they've got. Yes, and it seems to me like that's the rightest thing to do right. for society, but if you it's, can't get it, it done. But, but it is a challenge, and, and I think stem cell clinics and stem cell therapies more generally are just one of a number of cases where our capabilities are running so fast ahead mm-hmm. of where our regulatory frameworks are that the agency is having to scramble. They've been scrambling for years now with every new development that's come along. That's right. And one of the things that they really have to struggle with, I think, is weeding out those advances which really aren't worthy of their attention mm-hmm. because they're pie-in-the-sky pie fantasies versus those advances that really are going to make an impact and they ought to be putting resources in. Right. Right. And I'm guessing with stem cells, they've come to the point where they realize maybe this is serious enough for us to pay attention to. I suspect that. Yes. That's right. Yeah. Yes. Um, and stem cells also are, are a case where the the line between the FDA's oversight and the oversight of medical practice and surgery is yes. less clear too. Yes. Right? Yes. So the yeah. FDA doesn't regulate 
surgery right. and the licensing of doctors right. and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is one of those cases where you know maybe it's taken a little time sure. to, so, to so figure out how the landscape so who is moving. Does, who does oversee that? I believe that's state medical licensing boards. Right, okay, so right. That's, um, it gets really complicated then between yes, federal and state. That's uh, exactly right. Yes. Exactly, yes. so whether you can regulate the practice of surgery, right? Through, right. Um, right. Uh, and a lot of the lot of the physicians who are giving stem cell treatments are surgeons. Mm-hmm. Right, right, right. So I can imagine. I know I may have this wrong, but I can imagine FDA saying we can regulate what's in that syringe, but we can't actually regulate what you do with it. That is a hundred percent correct. Right. Yes. Yes. And that's been a, a challenge. Um, surgeons can kind of do whatever they want (laughs) and it's different you know when we look at different types of device that are devices that are administered Mm -hmm. um you know by medical doctors as opposed to surgical doctors right um the medicine people who aren't you know i work in cardiology so the medicine people who aren't opening up the the chest to do direct procedures and instead are relying on fda approved catheters for very specific indications are um uh much more constrained in their practice than surgeons are and i mean listen i've been in the room where the surgeon says give me a (laughs) bottle of crazy clue (laughs) no kidding yep no kidding so that's um, good stuff (laughs) <laughs> it's, it's miraculous is what it is yeah yeah um so one uh i guess final question we should probably wrap up here um have your students emma been um tracking the public face of the stem cell community i guess in particularly in the past couple of weeks since these letters have been issued that's actually what we're working on this semester so oh, okay. we spent the last year really trying to get to grips with the clinics and what kind, what they're doing, what kinds of treatments and what mm-hmm. kinds of evidence around stem cell treatments are available. And this semester we're starting, we're, we're sort of shifting our focus away from the clinics more to the, the bigger landscape of who is, who is invested in the question of how stem cells are mm-hmm. okay. regulated. Right. So we're, we're combing news stories and we're building up a sort of database of of the kinds of positions that are being taken by groups, including the scientific research community and public um, uh, kind of uh, patient advocacy groups Mm -hmm. and individual patients and um, medical boards and so on, Mm -hmm. to try and get a sense of of what kinds of arguments are really being brought to the table about how stem cells should be regulated. Mm -hmm. Okay, good, and I'll be interested to know what impact the FDA's pronouncement has, right, on that conversation going forward. So I hope you'll come back and keep updating us. That'd be great. All right, thank you. Thanks. Thanks. For more where that came from, check out the School for the Future of Innovation in Society at sfis.asu.edu. Future Out Loud is produced with the support of the School for the Future of Innovation in Society and the Risk Innovation Lab at ASU. Mark Van Hare created our music. Esmeralda Parker is our production assistant. Our website is futureoutloud.org. Subscribe to Future Out Loud on iTunes or SoundCloud or wherever you get your fine podcasts.